Hello, and welcome to Can't Make This Shit Up, a true crime podcast. I'm Cassie, a true crime enthusiast. And I'm Mark, her dad, a true crime professional, currently serving as a law enforcement officer in South Florida. And we hope you guys enjoy. We have a special guest star, my husband, Logan. Say hi. Hey. Hello. So today we are going to cover the Benoit family murder-suicide. So Chris Benoit was a WWE wrestler. So my husband is um, sort of a self-proclaimed WWE guy. He's been watching WWE forever. He's the one who first told me about this case. So he's just going to give his two cents when it's appropriate. Very little. Very little. (laughs) It can't be very little. You have to add to the show. So before we begin, we had one of our listeners send us a message. So last week we covered the murder of Elaine O'Hara. So she was the one who suggested that case. So after she listened, she sent me a message. She mentioned how we talked about the Guardi, remember? Yeah. She said that, and I her, her name's Lisa. So Lisa, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right because as we learned <laughs> in that episode, my Irish is not, you know. Yeah, it's not up to speed. But she said that their official name is the Garda Siochana. Yeah, you messed that one up. Yeah, you messed that one up. It's kind of like when you say slanch. But it's spelled like S-L-A-I-N. No, it's spelled Garda, which is G-A-R-D-A, and then S-I-O-C-H-A-N-A. I think you're both messing this up. Garda Sochana. Okay. That sounds more Czechoslovakian the way I said it, but. Well, Lisa, let me know how to pronounce it. But. They call, they call them the Gardi. Yeah, they're called the Gardi for short, she said. But she right. said that it means Garda Sochana, if that's what we're going with. Um, okay. that's an actress isn't it i don't know but that there it, it means guardians of the peace oh oh i like that so i thought that was interesting so i told in, her i was gonna in gaelic or in celtic in yeah I, I, she, I mean she didn't specify one way or the other but i, I mean i'm i'm obviously one or the other yes yeah what she said so we're gonna get into it so i got majority of my information from a it's a documentary series like all around wrestling it's called dark side of the ring you can watch it on hulu they have all the seasons all the episodes but this specific case is covered in season two and it's episodes one and two so if you want to watch it i highly recommend it it's a good it's a good little show so nancy benoit was married right out of high school to a man named jim douse Jim was a huge wrestling fan, so he got Nancy really into wrestling as well, which I found interesting because kind of same with me and Logan, because I was, I mean, I was into wrestling like as a kid, but I had not watched it in years. And then when me and Logan were together, he's gotten me into it. So actually just last weekend for his birthday, we went to go see a WWE match in LA. So now, you know, I'm, I'm a fan as well, I guess you could say. So eventually, while attending a show, a wrestling promoter picked Nancy out of the crowd and asked her if she wanted a job. So I'll post pictures of her on our Instagram. She was absolutely stunningly beautiful, like movie star good looks, like beautiful. Her name was Woman. Yeah, she was. That that was kind of her character name. Oh, really? In WWE, yeah. So I'm not surprised, though, that this promoter kind of picked her out of the crowd because she was like drop dead gorgeous. So after working a few shows, a famous wrestler and a wrestling promoter by the name of Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan. I know Kevin Sullivan from back (laughs) then. Okay. Well, he he took notice of Nancy. Okay. So by this point, Nancy's first marriage hadn't been working out. And so she was in the process of getting a divorce when she met Kevin. She and Kevin quickly fell in love. They began dating and eventually they married. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. So Nancy began working with Kevin in pro wrestling and their gimmick was that he was the Prince of Darkness and Nancy was his fallen angel. Yes, he was. Yeah. Second so, most recognizable man in entertainment, right. baby. Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. Hot times. Hot, hot times. <laughs> So Nancy wasn't actually a wrestler. She was just sort of Kevin's, what they call like an advocate. So she would- Okay, a valet. Right. So she would go out to the ring and kind of basically hype him up. So she was basically kind of like a hype woman before like a hype man was a thing. Right. So eventually Nancy had become famous in the wrestling world. So much in fact that people would stop her on the street and try to pray over her because they really believed that she was like in league with the devil. Well, she's, she's also like the first woman manager valet ever. Like she was the first, right. first real yeah. one. There's women's wrestlers, but she was like kind of the first. Yeah, there's only been a few, but she was, yeah. Well, that and like, Guys said she was drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> so well, and I guess that these fans didn't realize yet that wrestling, they didn't get the memo that wrestling's kind of don't use the F word. Don't, don't say use it. the F word. Don't say don't it. We're gonna cut you off right there. Don't uh, use I'm, the F word. I'm saying it, but no, you're not. No, you're not. So in 1995, another wrestler whose name was Chris Benoit came to WCW. From where was he from, Logan? Oh, he was from Oak. Yes, so he was he was a Canadian man, but he came into the WCW. So Chris was recently divorced from his first wife, whose name was Martina Benoit, and he had two children with her, David and Megan Benoit. Chris and Kevin began wrestling one another. So remember, Kevin's the one that Nancy is married to currently. Right. Chris and Kevin began wrestling one another. They became rivals within the ring. So Kevin came up with this idea for the show's storyline that Nancy and Chris were having an affair. Okay, wait, what, what are their relationships? Nancy and Chris, what's the relationship there? Are I'll they step in on this one. <laughs> so Nancy was still married to Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan took over as, lead bo- as one of the bookers for WCW back in those right. days. He was also a wrestler. And part of the storyline was Chris Benoit was part of the Four Horsemen. Okay. And in the storyline, Kevin Sullivan made it so where Nancy, aka woman, would join the Four Horsemen and be kind of in love with Chris Benoit. They share the same last name, so they're not related. It just ironically. No, so at this no, point, no. They, at this point, they're not. They're not together. They're, she's still married to Kevin Sullivan. So at this point, Nancy is oh, oh, Nancy okay. Sullivan. So she, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, 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 okay. So in, story, in storyline, she she ditched uh, Kevin Sullivan, got with Chris Benoit because he's part of the Four Horsemen, and that was how it's supposed to go. They were okay, okay. feuding the entire time, just like a, a lot of storylines. Yeah. True love. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you're reading my notes because the next thing. No, exactly. We used to watch it back in the day. Sometimes art imitates life, and Chris and Nancy began having an affair in real life. So within the Dark Side of the Ring documentary, Nancy's sister says, quote, the joke in the business was that Kevin Sullivan booked his own divorce. It's funny to a point, but then it's kind of not funny at all because I'm certain that it was not meant to happen. Wow, that sucks. And to be honest with you, I mean, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Chris Benoit was a good looking guy back then compared to Kevin Sullivan, so... Yeah, but they were both in shape. I mean, I always remember Kevin Sullivan being like, I mean, I don't know if he did, if he was one of the steroid, you know, guys or whatever, but he was always they seemed in were. shape. I was just going to say that they all were. And we'll get yeah, but like, that. but yeah, but like, if you, if you look at like today or like how Triple H or Batista, how those guys were, those guys back then, like Dusty Rhodes and Kevin Sullivan and those guys, they were big, but they weren't like bodybuilder big. Yeah, but Chris they were big was. from drinking beer and eating and, yeah. you know. Well, yeah, Chris. So Chris Benoit, for those of you who don't know, Chris Benoit, he's he's a shorter guy, which is 5'10", I think. Yeah. So like back then, a lot of the wrestlers used to be like ginormous. So he was right. definitely short for a wrestler, but he was, you know, jacked, like big. Right. So yeah, he once, definitely he definitely was on the uh, on the uh, juice. Can't prove it. Well, you can. And we'll get into that. So once she and Chris began their affair, it came out that Kevin had been getting violent with Nancy. At one point, Chris brought Nancy to a friend who just happened to be a psychologist. And Nancy had a huge black eye that she was hiding under sunglasses. The psychologist friend took photos of her injuries to document it. Meanwhile, Chris and Kevin are still wrestling one another at work. And their relationship was obviously deteriorating because Kevin was very much aware that Chris was, you know, banging his wife. That had to be uh, perplexing for them. 
So during this time, their matches stopped being fake and they began to exchange real blows. This culminated in one match where Chris hit Kevin so hard on the side of the head that Kevin's eardrum burst. So the match ended and the two began fist fighting backstage. That night, Nancy officially left Kevin and moved in with Chris. Kevin Sullivan denies to this day that there was ever any physical abuse between him and Nancy. Although I think that's bullshit because there were multiple people within the documentary that attested to witnessing Nancy's injuries, including her sister and even the psychologist that took the photographs. I was going to say, right, there's photos of it, right? So yeah. So he says it didn't happen. My personal opinion is it did. So by this time, Chris was still wrestling, but Nancy decided to take a break from WCW because she wanted to focus on starting a family with Chris. The couple eventually gave birth to a son who they named Daniel Christopher Benoit. And when Daniel was about one, the couple decided to get married. Okay, so now she's Nancy Benoit. Correct. Yes. Okay, all right. David, Chris's first son, because remember, he was married previously, so he had two kids from a previous marriage. David is also in the documentary. And of Nancy, he said, quote, Nancy, she treated me like I was her own kid. We didn't use the word step in our family, you know, we were family, which I liked that quote, because I feel like that's like our family. We don't really use the like term step or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, Chris began becoming frustrated with his career at WCW because he felt like he wasn't getting featured in enough main events. As a result, he decided to quit WCW with two of his best friends at the time who he wrestled with, and that's Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko. As soon as they quit, the competing wrestling company, which was WWF at the time, and they later become WWE, which they still are today. So WWF offered them a position within their company where they were featured much more often. So this also meant that Chris no longer had to work with Nancy's ex, Kevin Sullivan, anymore. Good move. Unfortunately, Chris's best friend, Eddie, which was one of the ones he had quit with, became heavily addicted to alcohol and pain medicine. Eventually, his addiction got so bad that WWF fired Eddie and sent him to rehab. Luckily for Eddie, he once he went to rehab, he turned his life around, he got clean, and he was finally rehired by WWE because by that time, WWF had turned into WWE. Right. During a show in Minneapolis in 2005, both he and Chris and Eddie's nephew, who was also a professional wrestler, his name is Chavo Guerrero Jr., they were staying in a hotel in Minneapolis for the show. All three of them agreed to wake up at 7 a.m. to work out together. However, at around 5.30 a.m., hotel security shows up at Chavo's door and explains that something is wrong with Eddie and he isn't answering his 5 a.m. wake-up call. So Chavo goes with the hotel security. They make their way to Eddie's room. They knocked, but there was no answer. But when they tried to open the door, the, you know, the security chain was still there, so they knew somebody was inside. Okay. Hotel security cuts the door's chain lock. They entered the room and Chavo found Eddie face down in the bathroom in his underwear with his toothbrush still in his hand. So at this point, Eddie is still alive, but he's making kind of gurgling sounds. Okay. So Chavo runs to his side. They attempt to revive him, but unfortunately, Eddie took his last breaths in his nephew Chavo's arms. Yeah, I remember there when when he died. So at that point, Chris called Eddie's nephew, not obviously not knowing what had occurred, but he called because he was downstairs in the hotel lobby waiting for Eddie and and Chavo to show up so they could work out together. Right. Eddie's nephew asked Chris to sit down and told him over the phone that Eddie had just passed away. Of the call, Eddie's nephew said, quote, all you hear is from a guy with no emotion whatsoever. You hear a wail, just this wail from deep down like a heartbreak. If you've ever heard one, this was a heartbreak. Wow. After an autopsy, it was determined that Eddie had not relapsed into drugs and alcohol, which that was the original fear that everyone thought, oh man, he's gotten back on drugs. Right, yeah, I remember remember that story came out. He actually died from heart disease and he was only 38. So following Eddie's death, Nancy flew to Eddie's wife and her name was Vicky Guerrero, who was also employed by WWE. So Nancy flew there and stayed with her for an entire month. So she assisted Eddie's wife, Vicky, and she assisted her making funeral arrangements. She took care of the couple's children while Vicky grieved. Of the time, Vicky said of Nancy, quote, she was my angel in so many ways. 
of Chris and Eddie's relationship, Nancy's sister said, quote, I have never ever seen a closer relationship or friendship between two wrestlers as I did between Chris and Eddie. It was an actual, real, no bullshit, out of the ring, caring relationship. Everyone who is close to Chris claims that after Eddie's death, Chris was never the same. Same, yeah. He never recovered from it. Yeah, he was devastated. So many people say that Chris withdrew socially and started acting strangely. So during this time, Nancy began telling friends and family that she was worried about Chris's mental health. Her sister said, quote, she talked to me about it several times. She was like, there's something going on and I don't know what it is. You got to tell me if you notice something. And I was like, yeah, is something up? He just seemed different. He was talking more about other wrestlers that had had children kidnapped and fans that went sideways and were violent. He used to take different cars in different ways to the gym that we had been going to for years. It was super random. He didn't want to be places and, and be seen. There was a level of paranoia we had never, ever seen before. So I guess he thought like people were following him or... Yeah, he started to get really paranoid and like drive different cars, like would take different routes to different places. Like he thought people were like after him. Well, and also too, he was always a, uh, people would say he was kind of a, a loner. And then Eddie got him into, which Chris never really thought much about God, but Eddie Guerrero got big into God before his passing, especially right. when his recovery. And then all of a sudden, Chris be walking around, kind of reading scriptures, still just came a lot worse where he'd just be even be more of a loner and people couldn't find him and he always thought someone was gonna like steal his spot you know just just very because he didn't have anybody anymore the three guys that he went there with they one of them got fired the other one died and the other guy he moved to a backstage role so he really didn't have anybody so of this time eddie guerrero's wife vicky she said of the situation quote nancy started getting really worried she's like i'm really worried for chris this is really affecting him in so many ways he was just sad all the time and depressed. He was impatient. There was a lot of fighting going on for reasons that she didn't understand why he would be upset. She would just be like, life is just really hard right now. Like Chris is just irritable and he doesn't want to talk to me. He's mad all the time. You know, he was just mad at life in general. While Nancy tried to be patient with Chris, a few months following Eddie's death, the situation was just getting worse and worse and worse. By that point, Nancy's sister said, quote, there were a few months where he just completely closed off, not even really talking to Nancy, not really talking to anyone. Given Chris's mental state, Nancy began trying to encourage Chris to take a break from wrestling in 2006. Her sister said, quote, she didn't think it was healthy physically or mentally, for him to be on the road and doing so much work in the same places that he and his best friend used to be and do things together. He was so grief-stricken on a monumental level that she thought that staying in the company and staying in the business was going to eventually harm his well-being. Yeah, he probably never like grieved it properly and lost the one, I guess, be, like Logan, like you said, he was such a loner that, you know, his one true friend or confidant, it was no longer there. Sure, it was, you know, psychologically, I'm sure. It, yeah, it, if you go back and watch up, that so. tribute show that they did for Eddie Guerrero and watch that video that he did, it's yeah. like, you know, pretty sad. Oh, yeah, you can tell he's like all heartbroken about it. Yeah. Well, and they do feature that in the documentary. So if you look at it, um, they show the clip of, of him speaking at Eddie Guerrero's tribute on WWE. And he's like basically sobbing through the whole thing. Right. There's no faking that. Like that's, no. you know, some people are, you know, they, they come on the news or on air and they talk and you can tell they're like, they could give a shit, but you can tell when somebody's truly, you know, lost somebody that's, you know, affected them. You can definitely see it for sure. So. So Chris was not doing well mentally. And it's obvious at this point that he's steadily declining. It's getting worse and worse. So on the evening of Saturday, June 23rd, 2007, Eddie's nephew, Chavo, this is the one that found Eddie when he right. passed away. So it was Chavo, Chris, and another wrestler whose name was Scott. They were supposed to fly to Laredo, Texas, and then drive together from there to a wrestling match that night. However, Chris never showed up. So he calls Chavo, and he tells them that he isn't going to make it to the match that night because both Nancy and their son Daniel have food poisoning and he needs to stay behind to take care of them. Chavo then tells Chris that he'll see him tomorrow in Houston because they have a pay-per-view match to film the, the following night as well. And Chris asks Chavo to pick him up at the airport the next morning at 8 a.m. because obviously now he has to fly in. Chavo agrees. So before hanging up, Chris says, quote, Chavo, I love you. And Chavo answered, quote, okay, brother, I love you too, man. And upon hanging up, Chavo later said that he thought it was weird 
and it was a weird conversation and that Chris definitely sounded like not himself. Okay. Shortly after this phone call, another coworker of Chris's called and Chris answered. Chris also told this coworker that Nancy and Daniel were sick, but this time he stated that Nancy had been throwing up blood. He informed the coworker that he would be flying out to Houston the following morning. So at 5.30 a.m. that next morning, Chavo gets a text from Chris and it wakes him up in the hotel room. So the text read, quote, the dogs are in the enclosed pool area and the back door is open. So Chavo's half asleep and is obviously confused because he had no plans to go to Chris's home because Chris lives all the way in Georgia and mind you, they're in Texas. Right. He had already agreed to pick him up at the airport the following morning in Texas. So he's like, why is he messaging me and telling me that where his dogs are and that the door is open? Right. So he kind of thinks nothing of it just as, you know, he's half asleep. He's like, it's probably just a, he, he meant to send that to somebody else who's right. like going to be watching his dogs or whatever. Right. So 30 seconds later, Chavo gets another text, but this time it's from Nancy's phone. The text said literally the exact same thing. The dogs are in, enclosed in the pool area and the back door is open. Right afterwards, he receives another text from Chris's phone stating his home address. So Chavo's once again, still half asleep. He kind of disregards the text thinking, like I said, they're a mistake. And he has to pick up Chris at the airport in three hours. So he's like, he's probably just leaving his house now to go get on the plane. The following morning, Chavo meets Scott for breakfast. So Scott was the other wrestler that they were supposed to drive down with originally. So he tells Scott about the strange texts. And Scott admits that he also received strange texts from Chris the night before. So they compare the text and they realize that they had both received literally the exact same messages. So this is this is the morning that he's supposed to be picking him up from the airport. Right. Okay. Then they can't get a hold of Chris. So they're waiting to pick him up from the airport, but they can't get a hold of him. So he never shows up. So the pair decides they have to drive on to Houston for their show. So they, they're like, well, maybe he made other plans and just didn't tell us. Like, we'll figure it out in Houston. Right. At that same time, that morning, Chris calls WWE's talent relations and informs them that he'd be taking a later flight to Houston for the night show because his son was severely vomiting. Because remember, he's said that he has food poisoning. And he and Nancy were at the hospital with their son, Daniel. So when Chavo and Scott arrive in Houston for the show, Chris is still not arrived. So the head of WWE talent relations, whose name was Johnny Ace. Johnny Laurinaitis. Sure. He's okay. married to uh, the Bella Twins' mother. Oh, who knew? So Johnny Ace asks Chavo, because he knows that they were supposed to have driven together. He, he's like, hey, have you heard from Chris? And Chavo tells him no, but he shows him all the odd texts that he's received the night before. Right. So Chris never arrives to the event that night, which is really out of character. He's never really missed an event, you know? Right. So the following day, which is Monday, June 25th, WWE management still can't get a hold of Chris. And he was due to perform again that night on WWE Raw in Corpus Christi, Texas. As the show drew closer and there was still no word from Chris, Vince McMahon, for those of you who don't know, he's the owner of WWE. He requested that police go and conduct a wellness check at Chris's home in Fayetteville, Georgia, because he'd stopped answering all phone calls on all texts. So he had his head of security, whose name was Dennis Fagan, contact the authorities there. The police go and they perform the welfare check. And at 4.15 p.m., they call WWE back and they inform WWE that Chris, Nancy, and their son, Daniel, have all been found dead in their home. However, they did not inform WWE how they died and didn't give them any details regarding their deaths. That night, WWE aired a full tribute to Chris Benoit and his family. No fans. A decision they would later regret as they had yet to discover what had actually occurred that weekend. Larry Alden, a detective with the Fayette County Sheriff's Office, was one of the first to arrive on the scene for the welfare check. Of the experience, Alden said, quote, I pulled up on the scene about the time the neighbor was walking over, and I walked up to them and asked if she had seen Mr. Benoit or anybody. And she said, it's been three or four days since I've seen anybody over there. There were two large canines in the yard. If I remember correctly, they were German shepherds. We asked her if there were any place she could put the dogs at so that we could go up there and do the welfare check. And she said, oh yeah, me and the dogs get along great. I feed them whenever they're out of town. And she jumped the fence. The dogs right there with her. She walked them in there, never had to take a hold of them. 
It was taking a little longer than I thought it should take, but then she came running out the door screaming that Daniel's dead, Daniel's dead. It went from just being a regular welfare check. Okay, we got something more serious here. We crossed the fence at that time, myself and Deputy Mundy, and we made entry through the side door, which she had left open, not knowing what we was gonna come upon. So just so you know, this officer has a very thick Southern accent. So I hope you're speaking the way he was because <laughs> I'm reading it verbatim. Okay. okay. All right. Well, then those are your words. No, I'm reading what he said. Are you? Cassie, you don't, use, don't use big words that he doesn't understand. You typed it out though. Okay. <laughs> I told you you'd regret this. I was going to say the one and only time Logan's ever on the podcast. <laughs> I told her this is uninvited. I told her <laughs> I told her this would be a bad idea. And she's like, why? I was like, because all we're going to do is argue the entire time. Okay, can I continue now? It's your podcast. Do whatever you want. Cool. <laughs> it was daylight and they had plenty of windows in the house. So you had a lot of light coming in. There was an odor in the house. Never a good sign. I know that odor very well, unfortunately. I do not. I'm and I hope I never. Not proud of that, but. And I looked over at Deputy Mundy and said, something's dead in here. There was a set of stairs going up to a bedroom. So we went up those steps and sure enough, that's where the juvenile child was at, laying in bed. I noticed the child was laying on the bed face down. Deputy Mundy said, do we need to start CPR? And I said, no, he's passed away. We started clearing all the different rooms and doors. We found another room and that's where we found Miss Benoit. At. She was laying on the floor and she was wrapped up in a blanket or maybe a rug or something like that. We went downstairs to the basement area which was a couple of large open rooms. And the last door we opened was the gym door. And that's where Mr. Benoit was at. Because of the mirrors and at the angle Deputy Mundy was at, she saw the reflection at the far end of the room, which might've been five to seven, 10 feet away from where he actually was. She started to say, show me your hands, Fayette County Sheriff's Department. She could not see he had a cable from one of his weight machines around his neck and had some weights on it. That's when I told her, I said, he's sitting right here, he's passed away. Radio had called us and asked if everything was okay. And I told them on the radio that it looked like it might be a homicide and suicide. It was within two or three minutes of us walking back outside that someone had already strung up crime scene tape across the front of the property. Nancy's sister spoke of discovering what had happened. She said, quote, my sister had told me to spoil myself and go to the mall and get some makeup and have some wine with lunch and go watch a movie. And I came out of the theater and I turned my phone on and I had like 22 missed calls from my parents. And my parents made sure they wouldn't tell me anything. They wanted me to be parked in my driveway and inside my house before they told me. That's how I found out. And then when it finally sunk in, I just absolutely lost control of myself. It was very difficult, very difficult. I had to go to the hospital and be sedated. Once the investigation began, detectives started to gain a better understanding of what had actually occurred. So this is a big trigger warning for child death and also suicide. So if you'd rather not hear the details of what specifically occurred, you can fast forward a little bit. This is the chain of events. Okay. On the Friday before the murders, Chris had had a barbecue out by the pool with his son, Daniel. That evening, an altercation began between Chris and Nancy. The subject of the altercation is unknown, obviously, because the parties right. are deceased. Right, they're deceased, yeah. The altercation accumulated in Chris restraining Nancy with duct tape, which was found around her arms and legs. At some point after restraining her, we're not sure how long, Chris used a telephone cord to strangle her. He wrapped the cord around her neck, dug his knee into her back and pulled it tightly from behind. An autopsy would later reveal that he had done this so violently that he had broken her back in the process. Also, yeah. I remember too, Nancy was like 140 pounds max, and Chris, I think, was at about 225. And that dude was just jacked. I right. mean, during this time, he was he was jacked. So it's definitely a, a size advantage for sure. Yeah, and he, even though wrestling is fake as a wrestler, like he had collegiate Ooh. wrestling. Uh, yeah, I know. I said the word. You said the f word. I said the f word. Damn it! I'm 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 shunned now from any wrestling podcast ever again. Thank you, You're Cassie. Good. You're good. Don't worry. I'll uh, put a bleep in. I'll put a bleep in, and they won't. There you know. go. Thank you. Thank you. But um, he yeah, we'll was, sub it in with he, or something. He, 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 he was. <laughs> he was oh, look! She just shot liquid through her nose. Yeah. Yes. Now, now I'm gonna have to bleep out. <laughs> like twice. Oh, we're not allowed to say. Three I don't times. know. It just seems very jarring. Anyways, oh, he was known for his submission. I didn't and, say. Uh, 
And oh, uh, also he, he wrestled in college, I think high school and college. Yeah, he was an actual, like an actual wrestler. Yeah, yeah. Like so Gre Greco-Roman or whatever. Yeah, so they to be honest, the, the way the way they describe it does not surprise me. He, he And I mean, the way he did his finish submission, I mean, he grabbed the guy's head and tilted back. So, I mean. So you're saying that, oh, this is interesting. So you're saying that basically the way that he murdered her kind of mirrors like his, one of no, his. No, no, no. Well, the, 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 way, the way he does his, he did his finisher, he wraps the guy's arms around his leg. And just leans back his arms on the forehead, but kind of yeah, actually kind of is this fucking same way uh, same where way, he yeah. just leans back. So he probably put, yeah, it does not surprise me that it happened, and he probably put more pressure into her back. And again, he was he's a big big for five ten. He's a big boy. After Nancy was deceased, Chris placed a Bible next to her body. The police discovered many beer cans and wine bottles lying around, and police believe that Chris was drinking heavily before, during, and after the altercation with Nancy. Right. I remember hearing that. He and Daniel went to sleep that night with Nancy's body still in the house. So he had okay. killed- Okay, so wait, they figured out that they he killed her first? Yeah, yes. the day before. Oh, God, okay. So he killed her in their master bedroom, and then he went to sleep, like tucked his son in, in, in his own room. Right. He went to bed in the master bedroom with Nancy, like dead on the floor. Oh, he had to have been hammered. Yeah. Oh, God. The following morning on Saturday, because remember, this was on Friday. Right. So on Saturday, Chris woke up. He gave Daniel a Xanax. Once the drug took effect and Daniel was asleep, Chris suffocated him in his bed. Chris then placed a Bible next to Daniel as well. However, police found a large butcher knife under Daniel's bed, which leads them to believe that he may have planned to stab Daniel originally, but obviously didn't go through with it. Oh my God. Did they say how he was strangled? Like, was it a pillow? Oh, a pillow. Thought, was it a pillow? Okay. I thought it was a pillow. From what I read, they're not a hundred percent sure. He had, okay. so once they did the autopsy, he didn't have bruising around his neck externally. Okay. So no ligature marks or anything? No, but internally, once they like opened him up, he right. had bruising on his neck on the inside. Oh, uh, okay. So they, they're not a hundred percent sure how he was suffocated, whether it was with a pillow or, or what. So he placed the Bible next to the, after he killed his son, placed the yeah, Bible. So he placed a Bible next to Daniel, a um, different Bible or a different Bible. So okay. there's a Bible next to his wife. And then uh, he placed a Bible next to Daniel, a separate Bible. I only ask that because I'm not religious and I don't have like five Bibles in the house. I actually can solve that one because when Eddie Guerrero supposedly got, you know, sober oh, and stuff like that, he gave born again or whatever. He gave, yeah, he gave Chris Benoit a Bible. And that's when Chris started becoming reading scriptures and getting, and then after Eddie passed, they actually became more and more involved. Not okay. involved, but he, they, he read a lot. He, okay, he, that made no, that he, makes a lot sense. of people said back in the backstage area when he was not really talking to people, just loving himself. They actually saw him mostly reading a Bible, like, you know. So yeah, he had quite a few Bibles. Okay. It was at this point that Chris made several phone calls to friends and family and other wrestlers, letting them know that both Daniel and Nancy had a severe stomach flu. So remember when he was making those phone calls to everybody and saying that they had food poisoning and they were vomiting and they were in the hospital and all this stuff, he told, you know, different people, different things. They were already dead. Okay, so both were dead at that point already. Sadly to say, even though you just found out how he killed them, everyone knew how close he was to his son. Like, every, like a lot of people were yeah, like... Yeah, that's, that's a little bit shocking to me. Yeah. I mean, I understand he, he probably had all this... Well, he probably wasn't thinking rationally, but I guess he didn't want to leave his son alone or, I mean... Well, and the fucked up part is that he really... Remember how he told Chavo that he was going to fly in? Right, yeah, to pick he, him up, right. So later that you will talk about it, but later they, you know, look at his computer history. He really did change his flight. So he really was at some point planning, even with both of them dead, to fly out and do the match. Anyway. Oh, for Monday? Yeah. Oh, like he, he had really, even, it wasn't just him saying that. He had really rebooked his flight on, it, I think he was flying Delta, they said. He had rebooked it. Like he was at some point planning on, with them dead in the house, just going to wrestle and do, and oh. do all that. 
Well, I guess I, I guess you would have to ask the question then, like, was it normal that he would leave for his match or whatever and they would stay home, but who actually checked on him or who would know, like, how much time did he think he may have before they would be discovered or... That's a really good question. I don't know for sure, but I know that, you know, it was typical because Nancy didn't work. She was a, a housewife at this point. So it was typical that he would fly out and they would be home, you know, in there. And they lived on a, they show the home in the documentary. It's like it's, a big ranch, right? Or like a farm? Oh, it, or... It's in Georgia and it's like on a huge piece of property. Like, you know, right. it's not like they have immediate neighbors. So I right, think, right. I mean, just looking at that, like, I think the odds of them being discovered without somebody like raising an alarm would be, it would take a while. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. So maybe he was thinking in his mind and, and whatever delusion he was in that, Oh, he could go and then wrestle and then come back and figure it out or, you know, yeah. whatever. And then maybe it just became overwhelming. And, you know, I mean, we're never, we're never going to know. So no, no, I'll ever know. So that night, Chris once again, went to bed with his wife and son's bodies in the house. So now day two, she's dead day and day one, he's dead. Right. So he's, he's now been in the house with his wife's body for two days and his son's body for a whole day. She's in the bedroom wrapped in a sheet in a blanket or something, right? She was on the floor in the bedroom. The officer's quote I read, he said it was, he believed it was a rug, but once they went in and actually, you know, the detectives went in, it was, it actually ended up being towels. So she was wrapped in towels. Okay. All right. So when a body dies, it goes into decomposition, like right away, rigor mortis is within a few hours where it naturally starts to stiffen, but the decomposition moves pretty quickly if they're not refrigerated or so, I mean, not to get macabre or, or, or too nasty, but day two, and it's wrapped in towels or whatever, a blanket, whatever. It's not a good environment, like the smell and like, so he must have been totally out of his mind at that point, like where it wasn't bothering him. It wasn't, you know. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was going to, that was going to be one of my questions is like, I don't obviously like, I don't know anything about like decomp, but I would assume that it starts to smell like how soon after death does it really start to smell? Within a few hours. I mean, depending on the, the location, the scenario, naturally, the warmer it is or the hotter it is. And it's in, right, you're talking about it like an enclosed room. Like, unfortunately, I've been on crashes where, we, you know, we haven't been able to remove the body right away. And they're like, you know, either still trapped in the vehicle or whatever. As we get closer to the vehicle or, they, or the medical examiner shows up to, you know, to do the removal or whatever, you really start to smell them. And naturally so, and that's in like in an open environment. So I can, I've been in houses where the, you know, the deceased have been there for quite a while and it's... It's not a fun time at all. I'm going to tell you, you have to, you literally have to like get rid of your clothes. You have to like, it sticks to you. And you know, I don't, I don't mean to be so graphic, but this is the reality of it. It's like, you can't get that smell out of your nose for a while. Like it sticks to your clothes. It's, it's, it's a smell like no other. And it, it doesn't go away easily. Now, granted, he probably had air conditioning or something, which, you know. Yeah. Cause you know, they lived in a wealthy home. So yeah, but still, if it's not like in an actual, like a refrigerator freezer, like they have at the medical examiner's office, the bodies are breaking down, you know, unfortunately. And it's, it's bad. Like after within a couple hours, it's, it's, you know, it's bad. The body breaks down very quickly. So. Well, and I'm not going to lie. That was my first thought when I was like researching this, I'm like, God, he's now been in this house for days with like, you know, unfortunately dead bodies. I, right. I would assume that that has to not like smell great. And he's sleeping in the same room with his wife being deceased. Yeah, I mean, that's... granted, he was very intoxicated, but still. Right. I mean, you're probably going to get to this, but I slightly remember that they, I guess after he, well, spoiler alert, he dies, right? Or he kills himself or whatever it is. Right. I they do the autopsy or whatever. And, and I guess when they, they figure out he has some form of CTE, which is the, you know, concussion, which. Yeah. Why think, are you ruining the surprise? All right. I'm sorry. I knew I was going to jump ahead. All right, go ahead. Continue. Okay. okay. So that night, Chris, like I said, once again, went to bed with his wife and son's bodies in the home on Sunday, Chris wakes up and he begins making several internet searches. One search was for a biblical story, which had to do with the prophet Elijah and the resurrecting of a dead boy. So for that, that kind of, A, it's obvious with like him lay, laying the Bibles by the bodies and stuff that he's in some sort of religious state. But to me, hearing that, that he looked that up, I'm like, man, he really was losing it. To me, it's like he was looking that up to be like, is there a way I could, like he was regretting that he killed his son. Like, Absolutely. He was like, yeah, he was showing remorse or he was starting oh. to feel like, oh shit, I just took my son's life. To look up a Bible story of resurrecting a dead boy, it's like, oh, you, you were trying to like grasp at straws. Like, how can I take this back? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, I mean, it's he. You know what? He probably had a moment of sobriety and clarity and was like oh fuck or oh shit i what the fuck did i do boom let's start drinking again whatever and you know and the, and the chaos continues but at some point he had to have had some type of clarity to say oh shit i fucking killed my wife i killed my son you know he lived with that for however long so the next search that he made on the computer was for the quickest and most painless way of breaking your own neck Chris then made his way down to his home gym in the basement. While he was still drinking wine, they found a half-drinking bottle of wine by his body. Okay. Drinking or drunken? <laughs> he drank half a bottle of wine. There you go. <laughs> God. You're the college student, not us. <laughs> I was say, you got three. I only had one. <laughs> Are you done? Nope. Look how pretty she looks. Stop kissing her ass. <laughs> you should be kissing my ass. Anyway, he made his way down to the home gym in the basement went to his lap pull-down machine. He yeah. removed the actual pull-down bar. He wrapped a towel around his neck and then tied the metal cord around his neck. At that point, he adjusted the weight to 240 pounds and wow. then he released the weight, which snapped his neck instantly. Wow. Police found a third Bible in the house, which Chris had written a suicide note in. So the contents of the suicide note have never been released publicly, like what it specifically said. Um, the only part of it that's been released by his father, who was the one who I guess received the note after his passing, mm -hmm. all he would speak of is that it said, quote, I'm preparing to leave this earth. I just can't see that somebody who loved their son so much, you know, taking their life. And then like, that was the plan. I think that was probably in the middle of some type of drunken, psychopathic episode he was having and i i can't fathom that part of it killing your i'm not going to say that i can fathom killing your spouse but when it's your son i don't know just i have a hard time thinking that that was the plan i think it probably just happened in the middle of the craziness yeah and then he re regretted it and you know also this is what i was going to hold till the end but i'll tell it now there is chris Benoit was doing supposedly rumors he did write a journal after Eddie Guerrero's death, and the journal is supposedly in Chris Benoit's father's hands. He'll so never, he'll never. I'm going to interrupt you because this was in the documentary. The journal was actually given to him by his wife because when he was going through all that depression after Eddie died, she gave him the journal and basically told him, like, maybe you should write letters to Eddie so that you feel like you're closer. So there was a journal, like, it's validated, it's not rumors. And the police did find it. And eventually, once the case was closed, they gave it to the father. Oh. So he has it. Certain excerpts have been given uh, or released, I should say, but right. the entirety of it has never been released. Yeah. And uh, his father will never release it. So it's personal. We're talking about Benoit's father? Yeah, or... Benoit's father yeah. will never, never release it. Uh, but he yeah. did, I think, came out once and said it is very, not him. Just very, very dark, probably very dark, very biblical, very just not him. And this is like what the police have said, that there is a lot of references about like what could be taken as suicidal ideations of like, I'm going to see you sooner rather than later. Yeah, that was, um, the, that, that was the biggest one where they, people kind of got the whole quote where it's like, Eddie, I miss you. I'll see, I'll see you sooner rather than later type of thing. If a person, I'm not going to disclude like his family, his father or, you know, his wife and, and child and stuff, but for people that I don't want to say like introverted, but people that are like isolated to themselves and they have like that one or like they have like two people that they confide in that, you know, to lose that is like, it's so traumatic that, you know, it doesn't matter that they have a wife and a kid and a life. And, you know, if that person's the most important person in their life, because it's the only person that understands them and, you know, hangs out with them or whatever, that's naturally going to send him, you know, down a path that, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it. I brought it up a little bit with, you know, with the concussion or the CTE stuff and naturally the alcohol abuse and, and, you know, all that stuff, it all plays a part. So I'm sure some of it was planned. Some of it probably occurred beyond his control and you know, know. Like just, yeah, yeah you will never know, but I still don't think because knowing what a family man he was initially that he would kill his wife and his kid, you know, like that was his idea. I think he was caught in a fog of drunken yeah, like mental illness. Yeah. Mental illness, drunken rage, like all of those things, like, you know, they call it the perfect storm. Everything happened. And that Friday night, boom, it happens. He killed his wife. 
Now he's trying to figure it out. And then the Saturday, he kills his son. Boom. Sunday, how am I going to do it? He's made the plans. He changed the air, you know, he changed the airplane flight. I'm going to try to like go do this and still maintain it. And then it became overwhelming. And, you know, he decided I, I can't. Yeah. You know, you know it's sad, a very sad situation for sure. So. So following the murder-suicide, friends and family spoke of incidents where volatile fights had occurred between the couple. Vicky Guerrero, who we spoke about earlier, right? she spoke of how the couple had been driving to her house at one point, and while on the way there, they'd gotten into an argument, which resulted in Chris smashing the car's windshield. Nancy's sister also spoke to the police about an incident that had occurred four years prior to the murder in 2003 during which Nancy had told her that Chris had struck her. Following the incident, Nancy did take out a restraining order against Chris, and she also filed for divorce. However, a few days later, the couple reconciled and Chris moved back into the home. Once the autopsies were completed, the reports showed that Nancy had had some alcohol present in her system at the time of her death, but police were unable to determine if this was a result of her drinking prior to her murder or if the alcohol present in her system was a result of decomposition. Because unfortunately, she'd been, by the time they found her, she'd been decomposing for so long that I guess the chemicals that they ascertain like alcohol consumption with, your body also formulates those during decomposition. Those alkalines, yep, yep. So basically what they said was that even if she had been drinking the day of death, it was such a little amount. It's not like she would be over the legal limit. Right. However, through the autopsy, it was made clear that Nancy was not sedated prior to her murder like her son had been. So she went through all of that like completely sober. Yeah, she felt everything. Yeah, unfortunately. Which is horrible. Yeah, that's a tough way to die. So in the months leading up to the murder, text messages show that Chris and Nancy's relationship had been deteriorating for some time. So in one message, Nancy told Chris, quote, I will not accept this steroid-induced roller coaster ride of emotional abuse. Ignoring the problem or running away isn't going to help you face it. You need professional help and only if you're fully honest about all of it. She also stated, quote, one night you're texting I love you. During the day, you won't talk. Get off the crap you're on. It's making you passive aggressive and I don't need the abuse. When the autopsy reports came back, it was apparent Chris had indeed been taking steroids as he had an abnormally large amount of testosterone in his system. The report stated that he had 10 times the amount of testosterone of a normal man at the time of his death. That's a lot. Yeah. Detectives had also found steroids in the home when they searched it. I'm sure. Yeah. So this is just a kind of a an interesting side story. The office of Chris Benoit's personal doctor, Dr. Phil C. Aston III, was raided by police and medical records and computers were seized. So they went in with a warrant after this murder happened. Yeah, foul play. Yeah. So eight months following the Benoit's deaths, Aston was charged with overprescribing medication for a multitude of patients, not just the Benoit's. A month later, in January of 2009, Aston admitted to illegally prescribing drugs, often without even examining his patients first. Right over the phone or money. So he was ultimately sentenced to 10 years in prison. Goddamn. Good. Fuck that guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he lost his medical license, but yeah. Right. That's automatic. Once all of the details had come out regarding the events of that weekend, Vince McMahon made an announcement on WWE and he stated, quote, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Last night on Monday Night Raw, the WWE presented a special tribute show recognizing the career of Chris Benoit. However, now some 26 hours later, the facts of this horrific tragedy are now apparent. Therefore, other than my comments, there will be no mention of Mr. Benoit's name tonight. And to this day, WWE refuses to mention Chris Benoit or show footage of his matches. Because Nancy's family felt wrestling was a large contributing factor to what occurred, they made it very clear that WWE was not welcome to attend the wake of Nancy and Daniel. The WWE had sent Jim Ross, who's a well-known announcer, on the show. They sent him to be their representative at the funeral. Of the incident, Nancy's sister stated, quote, The WWE sent JR and I lost my cool with him and told him to his face that he wasn't welcome at the wake afterward. It was all work, just fake garbage, nonsense. I can see a work coming from a mile away and that's what I saw. And I knew that that was the truth. 
So basically, Nancy's family felt like WWE sent him just to save face. Of course, right. One wrestler, Chris Jericho, said of the murders, quote, how can this be? Like, how could he have done this? He fooled us all. Eddie's wife, Vicky, stated, quote, everybody was just a mess. It's shitty and it's sad and it's unfair because there's two people that could still be with us today. And if Chris wanted to take his life, then so be it. But to take all of them, I didn't go to Chris's funeral. I was angry at that point. I was pretty angry at Chris, you know, for what he did. Chris's other son, David, from his first marriage, claims that no one from WWE reached out to him or his family in the wake of what happened besides Chris Jericho and Chavo Guerrero Jr. He said, quote, screw them. They weren't there for me, you know. They backed off like I didn't even exist. It really, really was the darkest time in my life. Nancy's sister also claims that no one from WWE reached out to her or her family in the wake of what happened. Following the murders, the media immediately began proclaiming that it was a result of Chris's steroid use and that roid rage was to blame due to Chris's high levels of testosterone and the steroids found in his home. However, this wasn't exactly true. Dr. Chris Nowinski was a former professional wrestler who is now a neuroscientist and runs the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Graduated from Harvard. Yeah, good for him. He was a former WWE wrestler. He had to retire from head injuries, actually. So he then went to school and be, actually became a neurologist or a neuroscientist. So Dr. Nowinski now studies chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE, which he describes as, quote, a progressive degenerative brain disease that appears to be started by hits to the head. Six months prior to Chris's suicide, Dr. Nowinski had talked to Chris Benoit in the WWE locker room. Chris told Dr. Nowinski that he was interested in CTE and asked him how many times he'd been hit that caused him to retire from wrestling. And Dr. Nowinski told him six that he was aware of. According to Dr. Nowinski, Chris replied at that point that he'd had too many concussions to count. I would agree with that. Because of this conversation, Dr. Nowinski reached out to Chris's father following his death and told him that he believed Chris had been suffering from CTE. He explained to Chris's father that the only way to be sure was to examine Chris's brain. His father agreed and allowed Dr. Julian Bales, the head of neurosurgery at West Virginia University, to examine Chris's brain. After doctors examined his brain, it was evident that Chris had indeed been suffering from a very severe case of CTE. In a press conference, the Concussion Legacy Foundation announced... Quote, when you look at Chris Benoit's brain, it is in fact shocking. Our findings showed extensive areas of tau protein deposition throughout his brain. Tau protein is a marker for brain damage. Within the documentary, Dr. Nowinski stated, quote, with Chris, he actually had a what would be defined as a severe case of CTE at 40 years old, which is early to have it. So it wouldn't just be areas of his cortex or areas of his brainstem, but there was damage to areas that you would think could influence emotional behaviors. And I believe that the degeneration of his brain changed who he was and what he was capable of. If you get hit in the head thousands of times, your brain essentially can start to rot. You get this damage in your brain that even after you stop getting hit in the head will continue to spread and changes who you are and how you behave and what you become. Of the cause of the murder-suicide, Nancy's sister Sandra said, quote, it's not one thing. I think that it's a factor of alcohol and drugs and yes, possibly CTE and stress and grief. And all of those things rolled together, put him on a path that weekend that he couldn't get off. Chris's close friend Chavo stated, quote, Chris is always going to be my friend and my brother. I just know that there was something going on with him that wasn't him. And it's something that, you know, I'm still very much torn with because you love Chris. You just hate what he did. Of his dad, David stated, quote, people need to understand that that was not him, not the person we knew, the person I loved with all my heart, my hero. I agree with that. However, though, you can't get out of the sight of what he did. That's a stain on everything. You cannot deny what he did. Agreed. I agree with you. Wait, wait, can I get back to the CTE thing for a minute? Yeah, no, I do want to talk about the CTE because for me personally, I think that this case is is very tragic in the sense that I 100% believe that this would have never occurred if he didn't have CTE. 
Cassie, I agree. We can't say independently that if he didn't have CTE, that this wouldn't have happened because we also know that he had substance abuse problems. He had the issue of depression when, you know, his one true friend, Eddie Guerrero died. So there are a lot of factors in this story, but I will tell you that the CTE, it's in its infancy, but in the NFL and everything, you you look at like Junior Seau when he took his own life. And just recently there was the, I don't know the, the player's name, but he ended up killing his, I think it was his girlfriend or his wife or whatever and i'm sure like all of that's going to be attributed some degree or some percentage to cte because listen the brain is a very delicate fragile in the human body it's that deformity or that dysfunction in the brain that you can't recover from the brain doesn't recover from that on our instagram i asked if anyone had any specific questions for you as our guest now i regret asking that because you just go off into tangents but anyway Okay, so it's from a listener, Christina. So hi, Christina. Hi, Christina. Thanks for listening. Appreciate What's up, Christina? So technically, she didn't really specify if this is a question for you or me, but I will let you answer it. She asked how we met. Oh, funny story. Oh, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Stay tuned. Come on. No, we'll answer. I, I can answer. Uh, I'll, I'll answer. I'm going to answer from my version. There. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've heard the story several times. I was going to so, say, he so, probably knows more than you. So, so, Christina, um, I am an investigator. Had, I had to deploy to a little area and I get a phone call mid deployment. My roommate, who uh, we call a hamster. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, we have, we have made reference to this on another episode. Yeah, so. he's he he a hamster. No, he was a hamster. And I agree. Uh, I concur. Anyways, so he was said, hey, I met this girl, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm thinking she, because this hamster was a hamster. Like he's, you know, I'm thinking, you know, a, something. I'm like, all right, cool. That's what I was thinking. And um, yes. Um, so we're starting this over. Can you just tell the story? This isn't an audio medium. You can't like. Uh, Christina is her name? Yes. Okay. Christina, Sorry, Christina, the way the way we met is uh, I was on an deployment, and uh, my roommate let me know Cassie's that having you... a conniption. <laughs> First of all, you're starting the story back at like 2000 BC. Like, just fucking all you had to say was we used to be roommates. It was a great time. The end. Like, what the fuck? Can you just answer the damn question? You've taken 20 minutes to ramble about nothing. They want to hear me. They want. They want me. They want to hear me. If you knew how to explain the story, why the hell did you throw it to me? I thought you would give like a, not like, babe, like, let's go. <laughs> what the fuck? It was you know, late. Oh my God. Just answer the question. Start over. This story started back when Eve grabbed the apple and took a bite. Yeah, he's over here starting back in BC times. I'm like, can we just, she asked a simple question so that to do that. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to go ahead. We'll start over. Tell Christina. I showed up after an appointment. She was there. That's how we met. <laughs> the end. Gotcha. All right. Now this is the Cassie version. <laughs> you want me to tell it? I'll tell it. Yeah, you tell I'll tell it. it from a father's perspective. Tell it from a father's perspective. Go ahead. Before she has an aneurysm in her head. I already have had it. one. Ready? Time me. Ready? Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen. I apologize for my daughter and her husband's behavior. This is what happened. All Cassie right. was with one person who happened to be roommates with her husband, currently her current husband. He turned out to be a real well, husband. bag. And I'm talking about the hamster. In all honesty, they, they got together. Logan uh, stepped up, was a real, when I couldn't be there as the father, he was a fucking man. And Logan, I appreciate you for that. And uh, we're not going to get into details of what happened, but thank you for stepping up. Good for you. They happened to fall in love and they happened to get married. And I'm not kidding. They gave me beautiful fucking grandbabies. And... I love you both. And that's it. That's everybody stop crying. Wipe a tear. We need to end this because this is out of control. I want to, I want to make a little statement though, for those of you that have fallen in love with our podcast, I apologize for what you just heard. (laughs) Also, if you still love us after this, follow (laughs) us on Instagram. We're at can't make this shit up pod on Instagram. Also, if you want to make a case suggestion or if you want to shoot us a question, you can find that in our Instagram bio or you can always email us at can't make this shit up pod at gmail.com. I'm going to say, hold on before we end it. 
I want to say thank you to everybody who's listening. This was a byproduct of families living on opposite coasts who miss each other. And it was a little crazy, but I enjoyed doing it. So I hope you all enjoy it. Next week, we'll be back to normal. <laughs> Next week, we'll be back to normal. So if you hated this, just stick with us. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, uh, my hands are raised. Okay. Oh, oh Logan. Yes, yes. Logan has a question. Uh, to all your listeners, thank you for listening to my wife and father-in-law's podcast. If you <laughs> want me back, tweet. DM the pod. Ask for your boy. Okay, you have to say bye. Bye.